0: Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for the latest sermons and audio updates from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. at 1211 First Avenue North on the third floor. I bet you I can make all of this really, really awkward really, really fast, okay? You ready for the most awkward sermon introduction? you have ever heard. That's a, that's a high bar, I know. I've heard some bad sermon introductions. I've given some bad sermon introductions. But, let's talk about sex. Baby. <laughs> Sorry, I had to. No, seriously, we're going to talk about sex today. Just saying that immediately makes things awkward, immediately makes everybody just a little bit tense, a little bit giggly, a little bit, uh, what's going on here, right? One of the things that we do here at City Church is uh, we preach through books of the Bible consecutively. Sometimes we'll take a break to do uh, something special for Advent, the time around Christmas. Sometimes we'll take a break to do something like the Apostles' Creed that we went through this summer. But by and large, our habit here at City Church is to go week by week through books of the Bible. One of the things that that means is that you're going to come across passages that wouldn't necessarily be the ones that I would pick to preach on any given Sunday, right? I mean, I'm going to have to stand up here and talk about God and sex for the next 20 minutes or so, right? This is, this is just as awkward for me as it is for you. Sit back, don't worry, hang on. Why? Why is it so awkward, right? I mean, think about it. Even our closest of relationships whether that's our spouses, whether that's talking to our best friends, when the the subject of sex comes up, it immediately gets weird. And the church talking about sex amplifies that. Whenever the church begins to talk about sex, it sort of has a, that's even more awkward by a degree of exponent why well for one thing the church has historically really struggled to talk about sex because it has only talked about it in a negative ways right if you could summarize the bulk of the church's teaching on sex especially in the past 500 years 1500 years it would be something to the tune of this sex is bad okay Don't sex, you guys, okay? It's... That's the great thing about awkward topics, is it makes times to laugh a little bit more funny because it's a pressure release. But by and large, the church has just had negative things to say about sex. It's just been a list of stop-its and don'ts. And it has not painted a picture of what God intended sex to be. The other reason why it's really awkward for the church to talk about sex is because what the Bible teaches, what Jesus teaches about sex, stands in strong contrast to the general received wisdom of our culture. What our culture says is normal about sex, and what God says is normal and normative about sex, are two different things. And honestly, they're so far apart that we don't even know how to start a conversation about it, right? Have you ever heard someone say something that you disagree with so much that you just can't even, like, you just literally cannot even, right? That's where that phrase came from. When your mind just stops, when the gears just kind of grind into place because it's like, no, no, I can't even tell you how wrong you are about that topic. So many times the church has felt that way. It's felt like it's under siege, that it has to circle the wagons. And I think one of the real reasons that really underlies both of these, and really underlies the church as a whole, and our inability to talk well about sex, is that we don't have a good, robust theology of our bodies. By and large, Christianity is either an intellectual endeavor or it's an emotional endeavor. We either focus on us as humans who need to learn the right things about God or that we need to have the right experiences with God. And if we just do those things, we're okay because what we do with our bodies doesn't really matter. And that's just not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that our bodies do matter. We're going to see that specifically in our text. I think if you grew up in the church, if you grew up around Christianity at all, this sort of uh, tension you felt, it's acute. The church seems to talk outside of, talk out of both sides of its mouth. Hey, hey, sex is bad. Don't, don't, you guys. That's bad. Well, unless you're married. And then it's really good, but you shouldn't. the church has struggled. And not only does the church struggle to talk about sex in that vacuum of talking about it, the culture has a lot of things to say about sex. Right? Think about the words that we use to modify the word sex. Casual sex. It's just sex. It's no big deal. And then we begin to think about how religion impacts our sexual ethics. No, no, no. Anything that tells me what i can and can't do is repressive stop it sex is just natural right what what does the uh, late 90s song say baby you and me are nothing but mammals and our culture has sort of taken sex and we've we've just made it A very transactional thing. It's no big deal. What's interesting is that we've been walking through the book of Corinthians, Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. And in so many ways, our culture mirrors their culture. The the patron deity of Corinth, the god that everybody sort of looked up to, that the city was built around, was Aphrodite. And Aphrodite, among other things, was the goddess of sex. And the way that you worshipped Aphrodite was by going down to the temple and sleeping with a prostitute. That was literally the way that you worshipped Aphrodite. And so the church in Corinth was struggling with this idea because their culture told them, Look, had a bad day at work, go grab one of Aphrodite's prostitutes. Had a good day at work, blow off some steam... Go grab a prostitute, right? The way that we we think of prostitution, and in our culture, it's one of the few things that is still slightly stigmatized. And yet in Corinth, it was not stigmatized at all. The way that we talk about casual sex, just sex, it's natural, don't worry about it, is the way that they talked about the temple prostitutes at the temple of Aphrodite. In fact, so much so, that the church at Corinth, Paul was writing to them, And the church at Corinth had told him, no, Paul, be cool. It's fine if I go see the temple prostitutes at Aphrodite. Everybody does it, and I'm just blowing off steam. It's natural. It's just the way of business. And Paul comes in, and Paul sort of of looks around, and he looks at them, and he looks at them like that that commercial where the, the two elderly women are talking about Facebook, and the one looks at the other and says, I unfriend you. And the other stands up indignantly and says, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. Paul stands up to the church at Corinth and what they, what they believed about sex and what, how they were treating sex and said, that's not how this works. Guys, that is not how any of this works. And what we're going to see as we read this text and as we begin to unpack it is that our view... Your view and my view of sex is oftentimes more driven by what our culture tells us about sex than what the Bible does. That our view of sex, no matter how Christian we think it is, is more likely than not more influenced by our culture than it is by God. So I'm going to read the last nine verses of 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, verses 12 through 20, and I'd like you to stand with me as I read this. Paul writes this, All things are lawful to me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful to me, but I will not be dominated by anything. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. City Church, this is the word of God, written nearly 2,000 years ago, and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. Paul walks through this issue, and he has already started to address some of the the sexual brokenness that the people in Corinth and that the people in the church of Corinth were experiencing. You remember two weeks ago we talked about a guy who was sleeping with his stepmom. This week Paul comes right at it, and and sometimes when we read this passage that we just read, uh, it's a little bit confusing. And what's so confusing about it is the way that Paul is laying out his argument here, the way that Paul is teaching this. He's using their own words. And so if you look in your Bibles, there's quotation marks, and what you see in those quotation marks is, Paul is kind of showing those, the people, here's what you say. You say to me, hey, uh, things are lawful to me. I'm a Christian, I've been forgiven by Jesus, I can do whatever I want. And Paul says, yeah, that's not exactly how it works, guys. And so Paul has this back and forth with himself, but he's using the words of the Corinthians. And he says... You say that all things are lawful. I say to you, yeah, but not everything's helpful. Not everything that you can do is good for you. You say all things are lawful to me, but I'm telling you, don't be enslaved. Don't be dominated. Don't be ruled by anything. And then he gets to the really big part, what they really are trying to say, what they're really trying to argue. And what the Corinthians were saying was this, food is meant for the stomach, and stomach for the food, and God is going to destroy both of them. The argument that the Corinthians were making was that our sexual appetites are nothing different from our regular appetites. That when I get hungry, I eat. And when I'm done and I'm full, I stop eating. This is the way of life. And guess what? God's going to destroy it all anyway. Who cares? And what the Corinthians were doing was saying, this is just natural. Just like I can be hungry, I can be aroused. And it's not weird. Paul, I'm just blowing off steam. Paul, this is no big deal. This is just the way it is. And what's interesting is that the people of Corinth are arguing that, look, my body is going to get burned up. This doesn't matter. They had a really, really, bad idea about the place that our bodies play in our spiritual life. Just like we try to make Christianity intellectual or emotional, so did the Corinthians. And they tried to do this and they tried to say, look, this this body has nothing to do with my relationship with God. Who cares what I do with this body? And Paul says, no. That's just not the case. Paul says, look at it this way. Jesus still has a body. When God raised Jesus from the dead, when Jesus was resurrected, he wasn't resurrected into some sort of angelic being that didn't have a body. No, he had a real body, that still had real scars from the crucifixion on it. And Paul says, look, our bodies are how we are going to live forever. It was interesting, C.S. Lewis, who many of you have heard of, you may uh, be familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis said that humans don't just have a soul, they are a soul. And another uh, Christian thinker came along and said, I understand what you're saying, C.S. Lewis, but you're missing something else. Christians don't just, and humans don't just have a body. They are a body. Your body is intrinsically part of who you are. You are not some disembodied thing who lives in this body for a little while. Uh, The Arcade Fire, an indie band from the mid-2000s, had a very popular song called My Body is a Cage. My body is a cage that keeps me from dancing with the one I love. And in reality, that is so much of what we believe. That I've got a soul and a spirit that's somewhere inside of here. And that it has nothing to do with my body. And what Paul says is, no, wrong, that's not the case. Your body is absolutely a part of who you are as a person... As a human, and if you're a Christian, it's part of who you are as a Christian. You see, the fundamental beginning of our misunderstanding of sex is our misunderstanding of the way that our body and soul are connected together in inseparable ways. Paul says just like Jesus was raised from the dead in his body, so too you and I will be raised from the dead in our bodies. So we can't just say, this is no big deal, I get to leave my body behind, what I do with my body doesn't matter. No, our bodies are absolutely connected to who we are. And what's so unique about sex is that sex is one of the places where we see this, we feel this, and we experience this most acutely. You cannot leave your soul in a car and stay the night with them. It's not something that you can separate out from yourself. What you do with your body is what you do with your soul. It's interesting how many of the seven deadly sins have to do with our bodies themselves, isn't it? Paul is beginning to build his case And he starts to say, the first reason that Christians don't talk well about sex is because we don't have a good idea that our bodies are absolutely connected to our souls. And as Christians, that is a big deal. Our bodies matter. But then he moves on and he begins to talk about how not only do our bodies matter, but we have been united to Jesus in a unique way. For those of us who are Christians, we have become a part of Christ. We have been grafted in, he uses an agricultural metaphor, that we have been grafted into Jesus. That we are a part of the body of Christ. And he uses some language, and he, and he uses this sort of cagey language about becoming a member with and And without being crass, what he's doing is alluding to sex when he talks about joining our members. And Paul says, look, not only do our bodies matter, but there is something unique about sex that unites two people. He quotes from Genesis when he says, the two will become one flesh. He says, look, if you're a Christian, you're united to Christ. And when you break the normal covenantal bounds of marriage where sex was designed for, you're doing something that's extra odd. Which is, you are taking Christ into this new one flesh relationship. You see, we want sex to be casual and simply physical. And God says that sex is spiritual And that it is absolutely connected to the rest of our lives. He finishes by saying that anyone who commits any other sin doesn't commit a sin against his body. But anyone who commits sexual sin sins against their own body. Here's what's interesting when people say, hey, could you meet, I, I, I need to talk to a pastor about something. Or when some couple says, hey, can you and Angie do premarital counseling? Can you guys do relationship counseling? Can you guys do marriage counseling? Can you do something like that? I can almost guarantee you that we're not going to talk about somebody's past shoplifting. Very rarely does cheating on your taxes keep you up at night. I have yet to have somebody come to me in tears and say, I had really bad road rage the other day, and I just can't forgive myself for it. It doesn't happen, right? Oh, you know, yeah, definitely, definitely stole that kid's BMX bike when I was 12, and it's haunted me for the past 30 years. Can you counsel me on that? no no that do, that doesn't happen, right? But what does happen? Hey, I have some real sexual brokenness. I need to talk about that. I have some stuff in my life that i'm not proud of I mean, we need to, I need to talk about that, and what's interesting is this is actually where our culture does have some things to say. I mean, think about so many times in our culture what's going on right now with so many of the people being uh, Hollywood coming out with all of the abuse scandals, right? That's bad. That's really bad. It's not okay. Why is that not okay? Because we know that things that bump up against sexuality stick with us in a way that is unique. And Paul says the reason that is, is that we are God's temple. And the way, if you were an ancient king, to show that you had absolutely dominated the people that you conquered, the way that you would go in and say, I'm the king of this place now, is that you would find their God and their temple. And you would go in and you would desecrate their temple. I'm going to take the thing that these people revered the most. I'm going to take the holiest and purest place that they have and I'm going to go in and I'm going to desecrate it. However they decided was the most offensive way to do that. Why? Because there was always a place where there was a temple that was to be kept pure. And that's the metaphor Paul begins to use. He says that we and our bodies themselves are the temple of God. And so because of that, he gives one of his strongest commands in this book, flee, run away. Do everything within your power to flee sexual immorality. But the good news in this text is this. He ends it by saying, you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. And for some of us this morning, we have become complacent. And we're comfortable with everything that's going on in our life. We're comfortable with our view of sex. And we're comfortable with God keeping His nose out of our business. And to those folks, this idea that we have been bought with a price is a distinct reminder that Jesus on the cross, experienced the shame and the guilt that we deserved. That while He was on the cross, Jesus was experiencing one of those moments where it's not just body, but it's body and soul together as He was physically and spiritually tortured. And for some of us, we need to be reminded that the price of our salvation was great. But for others of us, Our brokenness is very real. It is something that always lurks in the back of our mind and behind our shoulder. It's something that is frustrating to us because we just can't shake it. And when we see Paul say that we have been bought with a price, it is a reminder that despite everything that you have done, despite all of your brokenness, despite all the ways that you have misused sex and sexuality, that Jesus willingly paid the price to buy you back. That Jesus values you so much that he would walk through the shame and guilt and anguish that you walked through every day. He walked through that on the cross For you. So you don't have to carry that burden anymore. You don't have to carry that shame, that frustration anymore. And so Paul says, because you were bought with a price. Whether that's a reminder of how deep Jesus' love is for you, or a reminder of how deep the cost was. He says, because of this, because while sexual sin is something that haunts us worse than the rest of our sins, it is not unforgivable. It is absolutely forgivable by Jesus. And he says, because of that, glorify God with your body. Whatever it is that God has called you to in life, whether that's marriage or singleness, whether that is, is celibacy or something else, paint a beautiful picture of the faithfulness of Jesus to his church through your faithfulness in your body. Let's pray.